0: From the Alaska Airlines Studio.
1: Presented by 2020lifestyles.com. This is The Blitz. The first look at the top stories in Seattle sports. I don't like them like good. We're not like everybody else. The rundown on everything Seattle sports on your way to work. Swing the a 5 Deep right center field. He did it again. And the stories everyone is talking about. Oh my God, I'm doing my job to this
2: is the Blitz at 6. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Blitz at 6. Lydia Cruz alongside with you Tuesday, July 21st. Thanks for hanging out this morning. It's going to be a jam packed hour. The NFL and its players have reached an agreement on the testing aspect of their COVID 19 safety protocols. Training camp set to get started here really soon, and rookies already. Supposedly reporting, but now we're one step closer to football happening uh, between these two sides, agreeing on daily testing. So how exactly will that testing work? I'll explain that. Also, contract k- taste tracing, I can speak this morning. We got a little hint of what that will look like, at least with the Minnesota Vikings, and how it might look across the rest of the league. The NFL also offering the NFL PA to play no preseason games, part of the pa's desire to have that long acclimation or ramp up period instead of preseason games what else is still on the table and has to be discussed also some breaking news this morning veteran defensive end former seattle seahawk michael bennett announcing he is retiring after 11 nfl seasons so we'll discuss maybe play a few bennett highlights on this hour it's all ahead right now let's get to your headlines the NFL and the players have reached an agreement on the testing part of the COVID-19 health and safety protocols, training camps getting set to open over the next couple of weeks. So obviously an important step here. According to the ESPN report, the NFL and uh, NFL players association will require daily COVID-19 testing for the first two weeks of training camp. Adam Schefter explains.
3: It means that the players voices were heard. They're going to be tested daily for the first two weeks of training camp. If the numbers decline, then The testing could be every other day, which is what the NFL felt was necessary and required at this point in time. But the NFL players wanted it done on a regular basis because they know that they're going home to families. They didn't want to put themselves any more at risk than they already are. And so the league acquiesced to do that today, agreeing to the daily testing in the first two weeks of training camp.
2: So After those two weeks, if the positive test rate is below 5%, the league will scale back to testing every other day. If the positive test rate is not below 5%, they'll continue on with the daily testing until such time as it falls below that number. If the positivity rate hits 5% or higher at any point, they go back to daily testing until it comes down again. Upon arriving at the team facility for the first time, how will this work? Well, players and team employees will be required to test negative twice before even being allowed in. So day one, a player or team personnel member arrives they take a test they head home each individual has to wait 72 hours before taking a second test now if both are negative the person will be allowed into the building and they can get to work on day five the memo states that was obtained by espn that the testing rules and the five percent threshold will apply to all tier one and tier two employees for each team in the league if you remember back in June, uh, League sent a memo to the teams defining the different tiers of employees. Tier 1 employees are defined as all players and necessary personnel who have mu- must have direct access to players. Tier 2 is defined as, quote, other essential personnel who may need to be in close proximity to players and other Tier 1 individuals and who may need to access restricted areas. The league's expectation also is that test results will come back within 24 hours. That's a big part of this plan, right? They have contracted with bioreference laboratories to handle the testing and has said multiple times over the past several months that it wants to remain responsible about not taking up too large a share of the available tests in any market. Dan Graziano, ESPN NFL Insider, on why the NFL originally pushed back on the idea of daily testing. I actually
4: asked uh, an owner last week, like, what is the reason not to do daily testing. And his answer was, uh, well, uh, it's not, their their medical people are saying it's not necessary. They can actually lead to a false sense of security. And and they are conscious of not wanting to take up too high a percentage of the testing resources in a given market, right? Like if the NFL players can get tests, but but, uh, you and I can't, that's gonna it's gonna not play well in the public, right? So they want to make sure and be responsible too. So that was their answer. I mean, I, you know, it, 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 if cost is an issue, then cost is an issue. They're not going to tell me that necessarily. But those were the reasons I was given for why they were pushing back uh, on daily testing.
2: Obviously, though, the financial aspect of it, Michael Jr. noting this morning on Golick and Wingo that daily testing is possible because the league is willing to pay.
5: Doctor Sills, the NFL's uh, health and safety uh, official in this situation, said. That He considers this a living, breathing document when it comes to the health and safety protocols. They're going to go and continue to adjust based off what they learn, And I think that's important relative to the NBA conversation in this because I wonder now, and they mentioned not wanting to take resources away from other right. people. You saw some tweets about the NFL going with the lab. They did a national lab to try and curb that. Testing feels like a zero sum game. This is an area where we've seen there are still plenty of labs locally around the country that are experiencing big delays in the turnaround on some of these tests that affect the general public in this. But because we know these leagues are willing to pay a premium, they're likely going to get to cut to the front of the line.
2: Mentioning that NBA comparison there, Dan Graziano also touched on that as well and what the NFL is hoping to accomplish with daily testing. The
4: hope is that, that it'll be something like what we've seen in the NBA and more specifically, actually, a Major League Baseball, which doesn't have a bubble system, but whose testing numbers last week were very encouraging. Uh, they had actually come out with some te- – they had released some testing numbers on Friday afternoon right before I had a conversation with someone on the ownership side in the NFL who referenced that saying, you know, that, that tells us a lot because these are guys that are going home to their families, are interacting with other people away from the facility. And that, if those testing numbers can go down, that gives us some encouragement because that's going to be the situation in the NFL. You're going to continue to hear the NFL and the NFLPA preach to the players and to the team employees and everybody, when you go home, it's on you. If you bring this thing back into a team facility and there's, and there's a widespread infection that's going to hurt everybody, it could end up you know, shutting down the league again. Uh, so everyone's going to have to be on their best behavior in terms of how they manage the virus uh, and, and the ability to transmit it when they're away from the facility.
2: We'll dig into some of the latest results from the NBA bubble. Actually, really positive results of the 346 players at the league's bubble campus in Orlando. Since July 13th, uh, zero positive results. From that group of players. Now, granted, that is in a bubble environment, very different from what the NFL is looking to accomplish this season. But still, later in this hour, we'll discuss more on that. Also, yesterday, the NFL offering the NFLPA to play no preseason games this summer, according to ESPN's Adam Schefter. The league wanted to play two preseason games this year instead of the normal four. While the players were pretty vocal about not wanting to play any preseason games this year. Another part of the league's proposal reportedly included an offer for a longer training camp acclimation period, which is what the union desired. The players have proposed an acclimation period that would limit the first 21 days to strengthen conditioning work, add non-padded practices the following 10 days, and then work in contact over the final 14 days. NFL PA President J.C. Treder recently said on a conference call that the plan is the recommendation of jointly appointed medical experts. So they were consulting the league's own medical experts when coming up with this. The removal of preseason games now makes that elongated ramp-up period more feasible, more possible. Dan Graziano on what the NFL players were looking for in that long ramp-up. We
4: saw those players tweeting about NFL's ignoring its own medical advice. They're talking about this ramp-up period when they get to training camp. They want 21 days of just strength and conditioning, 10 days of non-padded practices before they get into the contact phase. So the, the players were having a hard time getting the league to agree to that. And the preseason thing is tied up in that, because if you think about they were going to play two preseason games, every time you play a preseason game, that's three days where you don't practice because you don't practice the day before or the day after or the day of the game. So if you want to implement this long ramp-up period, the preseason games are kind of in the way of that when you talk about the overall time they had. So agreeing to the longer ramp-up period, which it seems like the league is doing, And then getting rid of the preseason games, it kind of goes hand in hand. So uh, they've gotten to this point.
2: It'll be tough on young teams, uh, several people noting that, especially former players both Mike Golick and Jeff Schwartz talking about that yesterday and today. But uh, Michael, Jr., also talking this morning about well-prepared teams, and his mind will shine in this scenario, actually makes a comparison related to the Seahawks.
5: I think this will end up being a good thing because it rewards the best of the best, and it rewards people that are willing to think outside the box a little bit here. You remember going back when the Seahawks really first started having success? One of the things that we talked about as the NFL's rules changes was, well, the Seahawks were early to that rugby-style tackling right, the way right. that they went about their business there. And so when the NFL implemented rule changes, the Seahawks were a lot less affected by those things. They were ready to go in the lead-up to that. You're going to get teams now that are better at manufacturing game-like scenarios in practice, manufacturing environments you can control, which is why they started to love those joint practices oh, yeah. with other teams yeah. so much, because you can control the situations and find a way to be creative with your work and still get it in there right now. And so I think what you'll see is the teams that are you know quality coaches, quality staffs, and quality organizations are going to continue to separate for all these reasons
2: so progress good news here on the on the testing front and the perhaps elimination of preseason front but there's definitely still other problems that have to be addressed including opt-out clauses and several of the financial aspects including how they will share the burden of lost revenue going forward the players and owners with different thoughts on that so coming up next on the blitz we will discuss but some things to give you hope for the NFL football season happening this year also just learning Michael Bennett will retire after 11 seasons in the NFL maybe play one or two of his highlights here in Seattle it's next on the blitz right here on 710 ESPN Seattle
1: from the Alaska Airlines studio this is the blitz
2: Welcome back to the Blitz at 6. Lydia Cruz alongside with you Tuesday, July 21st. Thanks for hanging out this morning. We've been discussing the latest developments in the NFL and NFLPA negotiations and daily testing, which is something the players have been advocating for for a while. Now approved by the league, also reportedly made an offer to the Players Association for the elimination of preseason games. And Mike Golick noting this morning that that will be tough on some of the younger teams.
6: As I've talked about, I was a player that needed some hitting, needed to kind of hit a different color jersey for a while, go full goal a little bit, because you can go full goal all you want in practice. It's still not a game, and I know preseason games can be a bit of a joke, but I thought they could have been important this year. And, man, for for young teams, it's going to be brutal. Young quarterbacks, brutal. You know, in the amount of, we're talking 14, basically in the ramp-up period, 14 padded practices. So you have a, a new coach and or a young quarterback and or a young team, just 14 padded practices to be ready. And then all of a sudden, you know, it's like college again. You know, you know preseason, you're right into a game that counts.
2: Former NFL alignment Jeff Schwartz also on how this will impact younger teams. The
4: Chiefs have 20 20- of 22 starters coming back from the Super Bowl team, they're going to be fine. The Ravens, they're going to be fine. The Saints will be fine. All these teams that that know how to practice, that know how to be efficient, that know what they're doing, that have great communication between players and coaches will be great. Young coaches, young quarterbacks, good luck. It's going to be a disaster. I mean, Are are you telling me that in 14 real practices, Joe Burrow is going to be ready to play an NFL game week one against – I don't even know what they're playing you know, seeing a, a, a zone blitz for the first time that they haven't seen him practice yet because they, they haven't practiced everything yet. Like, it's, it's going to be really, really tough for young players to make the team, first of all, and then when they actually have to play to know what they're doing.
2: Obviously, a positive step towards football happening this fall, but several other things that still have to be addressed and discussed. Dan Graziano on that.
4: I think they can get everyone to camp if they come to agreement on all the health and safety stuff and then they can fight out the financial stuff. Now, there is the question of if someone wants to opt out, what happens to their contract? So that is a financial piece that has to be worked out. But I'm talking about the big picture stuff, like how much revenue do they project to lose this year by, you know, playing games in empty stadiums, or if they have to cancel some games, and then what effect does that have on next year's salary cap? There's an argument that the owner side wants to sort of just take the hit all at once and knock down next year's salary cap and and uh, and then, you know, go go back to normal in 2020, back to cap growth as it was. The union would prefer to spread the hit out over several years. So they have to come to an agreement on how many years uh, the cap would be affected by what they project to be a significant loss of revenue. So uh, that, that has a chance to get ugly, as money stuff always does. We saw it in baseball. But I don't think as of now that that's necessarily going to be a reason – that they can't get to camp.
2: So a couple of those financial aspects, as mentioned there, how the league and players will divvy up the inevitable revenue losses for this season. Will they spread it out over several years, as the players would like to do, to avoid a significant drop off in the salary cap? But uh, that plan, very much less favorable to the owners. Also, opt-out clauses, as mentioned there, for players who aren't comfortable playing or have medical issues, that could put them at high risk risk. Uh, for COVID-19, those still need to be figured out. Adam Schefter, though, saying yesterday he doesn't believe that there'll be hang-ups with both sides coming to an agreement. Well, the
3: big component, of course, are the finances. But one league source texted me this afternoon that they are almost there on all of the issues. It doesn't look at this point like there's going to be any hang-ups with players being able to report to training camp on time with the preseason being a go. We'll see whether they reduce The preseason further or decide to eliminate it entirely. But as this source said, we are getting close to agreement on most, if not all subjects. That's a good sign for the fate of football with most teams scheduled to be in camp one week from tomorrow.
2: Yeah, July 28th, not that far off. Now, when Minnesota Vikings players, coaches, or other team employees return for training camp this month, they'll be given a proximity tracking device upon entering the facility to help out with contact contact tracing efforts during the coronavirus pandemic. The NFL has mandated that contact tracing procedures, including the wearing of potential devices must be followed by all team personnel while at the team's facility so we got a peek at this yesterday thanks to a vikings head athletic trainer and infection control officer eric sugarman he explained to reporters that the devices will monitor the interaction that individuals have with each other inside the facility the contact tracing system is specifically for those in the internal tiers and will not include media in tier two or three, while individuals in tier one, this includes players, coaches, trainers, physicians, equipment staff, strength and conditioning staff, and tier two, ownership representatives, general managers, front office, football operations, etc., are allowed to interact. Those with a tier three designation, uh, including broadcast partners, field maintenance, transportation providers, cannot interact with anyone in tier one and two. If any individual comes within six feet of another person that they're not supposed to be next to their buzzer on their contact tracer will make an alarm sound. If you come within 10 feet, it's supposed to give you a warning of sorts to make a light or vibrate. The goal for the contact tracing system is to track individuals who do become ill in the building or test positive for COVID-19 potentially. And the Vikings will, Uh, at least theoretically, be able to instantly generate a report that will show who a person was in contact with in the last 24 hours. Meanwhile, other news in the NFL, the New York Jets and the New York Giants announced yesterday that they will not have fans at home games this season until further notice because of the coronavirus pandemic. The teams uh, both playing at MetLife Stadium in East Rutherford, New Jersey. Seahawks fans know it well and have separate training facilities in the state. They released a joint statement yesterday after Governor Phil Murphy announced an executive order limiting outdoor public gatherings to 500 people. The teams also announced that, quote, out of an abundance of caution, fans will not be able to attend training camp practices this summer. The NFL leaving that up to each individual teams, but we're starting to hear from some of them now that they will not have fans this season. Coming up on The Blitz, veteran defensive end, former Seattle Seahawks Michael Bennett announced he is retiring after 11 NFL seasons early this morning. He actually had some thoughts on retirement just about a month or two back and when he sat down with me to crime, so I might play you some of that. It's next on The Blitz right here on 710 ESPN Seattle.
1: You're listening to The Blitz from the Alaska Airlines studio.
2: Welcome back to the Blitz at Six City Cruise alongside with you Tuesday, July 21st. Bob Condotta, the Seattle Times, joining Bob David Moore yesterday. Just a couple of Bobs hanging out, chatting about the Seahawks' defense yesterday. I'll play you part of that conversation. They focused really on safety Marquise Blair and then also some of the Jamal Adams rumors we've been hearing floating around. Bob,
7: how much do you think the coaching staff likes Marquise Blair? Because it seems to me that, that the 12s like him more than the coaching staff. Well, I think the 12s like him because he, make, he made some splash plays. I think what the coaching staff's issue is, is him completely buying into doing either buying into it or just completely assimilating what the defense is and, and not giving up the big play the other way around. And, you know, if you remember that first preseason game when everybody was excited about about some of his plays, and one of the plays Pete pointed to was when Blair made the decision to leave the guy he was supposed to be covering and Russell the yeah. passer, and, and they dumped it off to the dumped it off, and I'm, I'm blanking on their, who the receiver was, but you know went for like 30 yards. And Pete brought that up as sort of the yin and the yang of this. So that I you know I remember that week, you know him talking about that about about you know that's the most important thing at the start. And you know if you go back and look, there was a time in Earl Thomas's rookie year where. Pete almost benched Earl for the same reason because he was like, Earl, just do what I'm telling you to do. Um, you know, the splash plays and all that will come, but especially in safety, you've got to be where the defense requires you to be. So there's not some 60-yard, you know, you can make two or three great plays, but, you know, the 60-yard pass that goes over your head is could, could turn the game around. And so I think that was the issue they had with, with Blair last year was just trying to get him to really be disciplined in what he's doing. And, um, you know, I think that's why I don't think they're writing him off or anything like that. I think, you know, we still want to rush to judgment on a lot of these guys sometimes and um, and all that. But, you know, they've got Bradley McDougall's only got one year left on his contract. And um, I, I think to, to, to me, the way I view it is I, I think that, you know, they're really leaving the door wide open this year for, for Blair to show him that he's approved and, and you know, definitely be the guy who takes over, takes over um, you know, the the, fall, the last two years, what would be the final two years of his rookie contract and save him a lot of money at the safety spot if he could do that. And, uh, and, you know, find a way maybe to get him on the field this year if he shows he can. And, you know, Pete threw out the idea that he could be involved in the nickel package. And I think people, I don't know that that means specifically being the nickel back. I just think it means devising nickel packages in which he's on the field in some way. Um, and we saw him get on the field a little bit at the end of last year when they did those dime packages. And, you know, so I, I think they'll, they'll try to find some things like that. That's where the, weirdness of this year you know i don't know if this is a year where if you really only have like 10 padded practices before the season starts if things like sub packages and things like that are harder to put in implement this year and you know if everybody's going to be a little bit more basic and all that but uh um, but i think you know in an ideal world i think they would try to find ways to get blair on there and i think they'd leave the door open for for him to, to earn a job i just think they want to see him much more just basically follow the follow the playbook and be exactly where Pete wants him to be. You know, Pete's an old secondary coach. That, that's his forte, been his forte for decades. And I think, you know, as everybody knows, they don't run – the uh, the most complex stuff back there. It's all based on being where Pete wants you to be, where the defense calls you to be, and I just think that was the issue they had with them last year.
5: What, how much do you put into the Jamal Adams r- rumors that the Seahawks were interested, and in our, our buddy Jay Keeps had a source that said they were very
1: interested in, in talking, so how, how much talk do you put into that?
7: Well, I think they're very interested if he's available, but that's the bigger part. You know, the Jets don't have to do anything. They don't have to, you know, they're not going to give him away, and you can always come up at you know if you're the team that wants to trade for him you come up with here just take these two guys for him but if you're the Jets, you know this is a this is a huge piece you have that, that that there's zero um you know other than i guess if adams really was holding out um you know and there's there's really zero reason to even think about it until you get to that point and if adams holds out and, and it's like yeah he's not going to be here or whatever then i guess you get to the point of of really thinking about about uh about that i think the seahawks would definitely be interested in it if if you know it he really becomes available, and I'm sure they're they're doing the due diligence of, of letting the Jets know and um, and you know the proper people know that if when you get to this point, we definitely want to we want to be in the conversation. But they won't be the only team that will be, and and you know, and it's complicated by not only what do you give up to get him, but then you've got to immediately sign. You know, think about anyway what you're going to do to sign him and he's going to want to, you know, the, the, the rumor out there was he didn't want, he didn't want to just be the highest-paid safety in the NFL. He wanted to be among the highest-paid defensive players in the NFL. You know, he wants a he wants a defensive lineman or, you know, a rush-in kind of contract in the in the 19-20 billion range, not just, you know, 15 or 16. So, um, you know, from that standpoint it is when it starts to get tricky. But, uh, you know, I think the Jets will be really patient on this, and, you know, they've got uh, you know some new people in place there with the jets and things like that so you know we'll see what you know when they can, when kind of training can't start you get everybody together and you know see how it goes from there i think from their end before you really start getting serious about the teams that might want to trade for them if they've got a chance to do that
2: Interview with Bob Canuta of the Seattle Times available for you at 710sports.com. Just click on that podcast tab. Also, we are now just four days away from the Mariners opening their 2020 season. Yes, a truncated season, but still baseball back. And our own Mariners insider, Shannon Dreyer, joining Tom, Jake, and Stacey yesterday for what she will be looking for on Friday. Shannon, I, I'm
0: trying to figure out how to
2: phrase this question. Just genuinely, out of curiosity, knowing that you're our Mariners insider, you've been covering this team. Um, And it's from such like a, I mean, a beat reporter, you're looking at very specific things. What are you specifically watching for on Friday?
0: Mm, You know, I, I think what I don't think it's going to be so much anything player related, this is going to be something like we have never seen in the game before so what i'm specifically going to be looking for is what is different what does not having a crowd feel like sound like does it have impact um, i think that that is where the initial eyes are, are going to be and then uh then you probably start looking into individual performances so i think that you keep an eye um on the starting pitching Uh, you've got young guys and Justin Dunn and Justice Sheffield uh, how far can they go the Mariners will be in a six-man rotation does that mean they can push guys a little bit uh, deeper into ball games I asked Scott Service that uh, the other day and he said yeah and probably not right off the bat they're still building up but um, do we see those longer performances because they have that extra day I think that that will be intriguing Uh, some players uh, you know the hitters in particular they not really had enough time to get ready. So I think you look at how some of the younger players deal with that. I look at a player like Shed Long who hasn't been particularly good with the bat in these two weeks. So how does he battle through that in the first couple of weeks of the season? Um, the catchers, uh, if you look at it, you the Mariners are starting with two catchers, who neither of which, uh, you know, one of them has, I think, three big league starts under his belt the other uh, half a season. Yeah, I I think that that will be interesting and yet they have full confidence in both of them. Keep an eye on that as well. And then this is the younger group. So, you know, how does Evan White, he's making his debut on Friday. That's going to be exciting. This is a player that they've invested in who is supposed to be here for a long time. How does having the younger team impact uh, what they do on the field? They should be running more. You know, how effective is that? It's going to be a lot to keep an eye on, but I think the biggest thing, at least for the first few innings, It's just really going to be trying to take in, okay, this is baseball this year. This is what it looks like. This is what it sounds like.
4: Uh, Definitely excited to watch Evan White. He'll definitely be somebody I'm keeping a close eye on for sure, Shannon. Now, you said there's not going to be a whole lot of surprises. One surprise would have been Jared Kelnick being a part of the opening day Mm -hmm. roster, do you think there's any chance of him being a part of the roster or being uh, getting a chance to play at the, with the big league level by the end of the
8: season?
0: Stop it. No. no. <laughs> Just
8: stop. We, we will not, Shannon.
0: Tell us what we want to hear. <laughs> Do you want to keep him for two more years? Shannon, where is he in the lineup on Friday? <laughs> he is in Tacoma batting cleanup. <laughs> You know, it's funny with all of this, and I think I'm running an insider about it today, that the one who is even further along that I think this hurts even more is Logan Gilbert. You know, this is a guy that would definitely, you know, barring injury, would have been up by now. Jared Kelnick was going to force the issue, but I think you were looking at more of a September type deal, maybe August, maybe July, if he really just was on fire, but No, this is a a guy that had what ninety-two plate appearances in Double A, and uh, you've got to allow him to get what he needs before you bring him up. And then there is a service time issue, and this isn't, you know, a a matter of somebody who is obviously ready that you're sitting on the player. But you know, if you were to play him this year, you in effect would be giving away two years of Jared Kelnick, which uh, in my book is not a good idea.
2: Mariners insider Shannon Dreyer, you can listen to her uh, throughout the day here on 710, but also read her incredible work at 710sports.com. Coming up next in the hot list, the NBA and NBA PA said Monday that uh, coronavirus testing so far uh, since July 13th yielded zero positive results. Now, this is a bubble environment, but what can other leagues take as an example from this? It's next on The Blitz right here on 710 ESPN Seattle.
1: Airline studio. This is the Blitz. It's time for the Hot List. Holy mackerel! The headlines for the day in sports every morning at 6:45. Heck
5: yes. What are we missing
1: here? A full breakdown of the top stories of today on your morning drive. The NBA and the
2: NBA. PA said on Monday that coronavirus tests of 346 players of the league's bubble campus in Orlando, Florida, since July 13th, have yielded, wait for it, zero positive results. When the league announced its initial batch of tests in the bubble on July 13th, it said that two of 322 players who were tested came back positive. Um, and Luke Andrews, ESPN NBA reporter on the daily testing process, key to the efficacy of the bubble. Daily testing, every single day players head to a room in their hotel and are given two nasal swabs uh, and as well as an oral swab and every day they are getting those results back to the point that players who they've caught, they started this testing two weeks before players needed to come down and report to Orlando they have caught COVID cases so that those players have not entered the bubble and then potentially given it to other people. So it just came out today, I reported earlier that Pat Connaughton with the Milwaukee Bucks tested positive for COVID-19. He is not in Orlando because of that. Eric Bledsoe, also on the Bucks, not in Orlando yet because of that. Russell Westbrook just got to Orlando because he uh, had tested positive for coronavirus, he shared. So that precaution has really been exceptional from the NBA so far. Once again, not surprising, the NBA leading the way for a lot of other sports leagues. Also yesterday, the NBA announced the rosters for all 22 teams participating in the season's restart. At the Worldwide Sports Complex, each of the teams participating in the restart will play three inter-squad scrimmages from July 22nd to July 28th. And then NBA games set to resume July 30th. Wow, they're being halted in mid-March. So pretty incredible. LeBron James speaking to the media yesterday on some thoughts. Thoughts on if the bubble environment will be successful.
6: I think I said first time I did media that um, until something, if it was to happen, then you approach it. Everything is, is gone the way it's supposed to gone since we've been here. And it's given me no indication why it won't continue. If something happens or or spike happens, which we don't believe it is, but if something happens, then we uh, adjust and, and go forward from there. But I don't go, I don't wake up in the morning and say, okay, this may not work. I don't approach it that way. I woke up this morning thinking about my family one and then thinking about how I going to impact practice and, and help us get better. That was that's it.
2: LeBron saying nothing is normal in 2020. So no, it's 2020.
6: Everyone keeps asking me how's the bubble or how's it going. I just say it's 2020. Nothing is normal in 2020. Nothing seems as is. And who knows if it will ever go back to the way it was. Who knows? But you, you make the adjustments and you figure it out along the way. That's what life is all about. You know, life throws you curveballs sometimes. And it's how you not only approach it, but how you appreciate it as well. So nothing is normal. But what is the same is that that floor we just came off of my teammates and, and what we have what we're here to uh, to do and that's to, to lock in and stay focused and, and go about this ride you know accordingly
2: lebron uh with some thoughts on that just saying yep 2020 i think that's been my go-to a lot this year as well well 2020 gonna 2020 san francisco giants manager gabe kapler and several of his players knelt during the national anthem before monday night's exhibition game against the oakland athletics right fielder jalen davis Uh, And first base coach Antoine Richardson also took a knee as shortstop Brandon Crawford stood between them with a hand on each of their shoulders. It was that same field where former A's catcher Bruce Maxwell became the first major leaguer to kneel for the anthem in 2017. And he's been vocal about feeling uh, not supported at the time by uh, even potential teammates, but also just peers around the league. Kapler is beginning his first season managing the Giants after two years as skipper for the Phillies. He's been outspoken about social injustice and racial issues and athletes' role in helping uh, spur positive change. Jeff Passon yesterday, ESPN MLB Insider, on a reason for optimism for this season, but still a bit of caution.
5: It's been interesting seeing over the last couple weeks, Ryan, how that optimism has actually grown. And it's grown because the numbers have caused it to grow. If you looked at last week, of the 10,000 plus tests that were given out, there were only six positives in the monitoring phase that came back. That's just six people who were bringing it into this uh, veritable bubble, that baseball has tried to create but we also know that with opening day this week there's going to be travel there's going to be hotel stay they don't have a bubble like the NBA they don't have a bubble like the NHL wants to and so because of that the possibility of an outbreak is bigger than in those other
4: sports.
2: Aaron Boone, New York Yankees manager. Ooh, just uh, some thoughts on not playing in front of fans. How weird that would be. It
4: was awesome. It was really
7: competitive. You know, for being an exhibition game, you wonder what it's going to be like. It's certainly odd initially and weird. But I really felt like from inning one at 7 o'clock at City Field the first night and then at Yankee Stadium last night, the energy on our bench The competitiveness that took over our guys, I really felt like was palpable, and I felt like guys went out, obviously understanding the importance of playing another team because you only have a few of them, understanding the importance of each at-bat, each pitch, each play, and I feel like they've done a really good job of getting their mind right and getting in a place that it's go time on Thursday.
2: Meanwhile, locally, we got an idea of what the six-man starting rotation will look like for the Mariners. Marco Gonzalez, of course, the opening day starter. Taiwan Walker following him. Yusei Kikuchi, Kendall Graveman, Justice Sheffield, and Justin Dunn. So you really get the lefty-righty mix going on yesterday. Also, Yusei getting back out on the mound. And how did he do, according to Scott Service? What was his uh, review of Yusei's performance yesterday?
8: Obviously, a uh, quick one tonight. Um, you know, Didn't have as much pitching to get through, I thought. uh you know, nice to see Kikuchi. I thought he threw the ball pretty well tonight. I thought his stuff was really good. Um, velocity up there. Um, you know, maybe not a great feel with his curveball tonight, but a lot of good sliders. Uh, you know, the fastball, like I said, was there. Mix in some good change-ups. So um, hopefully he can he can build on that one. I think he got up to 55, 58 pitches, something like that, which is what we were hoping to get him to. And, you know, I think, you know, all the guys so far, Marco, uh, Taiwan, uh, and, and YK, you know they should be good to go if things go well uh hopefully get them through five innings their first time out
2: you say cruising through three innings uh but struggling a little bit in the fourth what happened uh no if
8: you look at that inning i mean obviously there's a little infield hit that started it all um and then you know fell behind the count but i don't think it's it's not uh, as far as um endurance or, or having arm strength built up nobody throws more than you say so um uh, I was actually happy he threw a bunch of pitches that inning because we needed to get the pinch count up. So it worked out okay. Uh, it's a, the advantage of having a scrimmage or inner squat something like that. We needed to get his pitches up there. Otherwise, it would have been a little little clunky. Uh, but you know, I know he would have liked to finish on a little bit stronger note, but uh, all good. He's healthy, and he'll be ready to go when we get to Houston.
2: Good news for Mariners fans. Absolutely a tough series to open this one up against the Houston Astros in Houston. Some breaking news this morning. Veteran defensive end of former Seattle Seahawks Michael Bennett announced he's retiring after 11 NFL seasons. Announced on Instagram early this morning, the three-time Pro Bowl selection had 69.5 career sacks, 359 tackles, 10 forced fumbles, and of course, a Super Bowl Ring here in Seattle. Bennett posted, quote, retiring feels a little like death of self, but I'm looking forward to the rebirth, the opportunity to reimagine my purpose. I would like to thank my wife and children who have sacrificed so much for me to succeed. I'm looking forward to supporting them the same way they have me these past 11 years. I have never been more at peace in my life. In an article published today as well, Bennett told the New Yorker that in addition to spending more time with his family, he wants to help athletes be heard when it comes to social and racial injustice. He also spoke um, recently on e- uh, on ESPN Daily, Nina Kimes, speaking and sitting down with Michael via Zoom. But at the time, still planning on playing, and admitted that every season you reevaluate your decision
9: to play. It's one of those things where I think it football you just there's a shelf life on everything. You kind of just weigh the options after every season, and seeing how you fit in what you can do, how your body's feeling. So I think every player at the end of every season kind of goes through an adjustment of um, checking what do they need to adjust with their body. Is Can they still continue through the rigorous recovery of each game and each season? I think every player goes through that. And I'm no different in that situation, I think. I'm just another player who is figuring out what's the best thing for his life.
2: At the time, I was asked why, after all the injury concerns, he still wanted to play.
9: I, don't know. I think it's, I think it's a love for the game. I think it's people you end up being part of something that you just love. I think, I mean, for me, I, I love, I like football from just, just like the playing perspective, but just like the history of the sport, the coaches, the how the game got started, um, everything about like that part of it too. You know, the, so I like that that part. So I don't know. I just feel like it's just a, a longer process than just figuring out just being like okay I feel like you gotta go through a process I, I haven't finished my process yet
2: but now uh, hanging the cleats up 34 year old Bennett traded from the New England Patriots to the Cowboys last season in exchange for what would become a 6th round pick in 2021 but in addition to the Cowboys and Patriots he played for the Bucks and the Seattle Seahawks the Philadelphia Eagles during his career and some definitely memorable moments shotgun
4: snap play fake Rogers looks. Rogers chase Rogers fumbles in the end zone ball rolling around
5: all at the Packers is going to be a safety as Michael Bennett chased down Rodgers,
2: sacked him, forced the fumble. You hate to see it, right? Good news in the world of football, at least when it comes to the viability of a season. The NFL and its players reached an agreement on the testing aspect of COVID-19 protocols. Um, they will have daily testing, according to a memo obtained by ESPN, at least for the first two weeks of training camp. Adam Schefter explains. It
3: means that the players' voices were heard. They're going to be tested daily for the first two weeks of training camp. If the numbers decline, then the testing could be every other day, which is what the NFL felt was necessary and required at this point in time. But the NFL players wanted it done on a regular basis because they know that they're going home to families. They didn't want to put themselves any more at risk than they already are. And so the league acquiesced to do that today, agreeing to the daily testing in the first two weeks of training camp.
2: After two weeks, if the positive test rate is below 5%, the league will scale back to testing every other day. If it's not below 5%, they'll continue on with daily testing. And at any point, if that positivity rate hits five or higher, they'll go back to the daily testing regimen. There's still several things on the table that do have to be figured out, at least when it comes to the financial side of things, how they will share the loss of revenue and how opt-out clauses will work for players who don't feel comfortable playing or for... Those who have medical conditions that put them at higher risk for COVID-19, but still a positive step when it comes to playing football this fall. Also said yesterday, the NFL offering the NFL PA to play zero preseason games this summer, and that allows the PA to get in a longer acclimation or ramp-up period. Uh, for the season. Still skeptical about the start of the season would be Sean McVay yesterday on the helipod.
3: I'll tell you the weirdest thing and I've talked to a lot of our people about it Dan is usually when you get about a week out and right now that's exactly where we're at start to get revved up get excited just like I know you feel when you know you're getting ready to kick off you know training camp in the preseason and there's something about this time that uh, you know the amount of things that have to take place for that to logistically get off and get going My something about it tells me maybe there's a chance that things get moved back. And that's what's weird because you want to make sure, hey, if we're going, we're ready to roll, we're locked in. So what I've been telling our people is, hey, we're going to have a great plan. Whether we get a chance to execute that plan now or a little bit later remains to be seen. But I am confident we'll have a season, we'll be able to play football. Whether or not it goes exactly on the schedule that that we've all seen, that's something that uh, I'm a little skeptical of right now.
2: That's a wrap for the hot list and the entire Blitz at 6 hour. Danny and Gallant coming your way next right here on 710 ESPN Seattle.